Welcome to Public Words Project. This is Anne-Marie Williams, and I just want to welcome you to a new podcast and also a podcast. We're going to be doing some podcasts that take on certain subject matters in a more educational manner, more than just storytelling to find out how one person gets from A to B to Z. So um, we're going to be focusing on a couple of items. And one of the items that's been brought to my attention via survey and request is financial literacy. So we're going to do some podcasts regarding this particular issue in the next handful of episodes. So I sat down with Dr. Melvin Armstrong uh, at the Big House in South Los Angeles. The Big House is a wonderful co-working space in South Los Angeles on 35th Street. You need to check it out. They're a fanta- it's a fantastic co-working space. Uh, we sat down and chatted. You're going to hear a lot of background noise because um, the Big House was very busy helping people in the community with business licenses, small business uh, incubator work, and actually Wi-Fi for education purpose. There were a lot of students in there studying using the Wi-Fi at the big house. So sit back, take a listen to Dr. Melvin Armstrong and myself chat about financial literacy and a couple of other items. One of them is equity. What is equity? That's a big question. It has two definitions. So let's, let's chat about it. Take a listen. Experience with this, would you tell me about Wedbush? Okay, Wedbush is a, a financial services company um, that they do many numbers of things, everything um, from doing stuff on the Chicago Board of Mercantile Exchange, Chicago Board of Trade, uh, a lot of different particular things. So they're full service, I guess by some standards, they would be can still considered a boutique financial services company, even though I think that they do, um, or their value is in excess of five, 600 million. Um, so they're a boutique financial services company um, and how my relationship with them started, um, the current co-CEO and president, Richard Jablonski, is a cigar friend of mine. Um, and we began to talk about just his journey in the financial services. And Rich is one of those uh, individuals who is uh, really great at conversation. And so we began to start to talk. And one of the things for me, just, I don't know if this is, you know, the hood hustler in me or just like, you know, my growing up in the hood. Um, anytime I'm talking to someone, my mind immediately begins to think about the ways by which um, there is opportunities either for myself or folks in my social network. And so me and Rich were basically talking about the ways that one becomes part of the financial service sector. Mm -hmm. And I asked him how many people of color um, can kind of take the path or were able to take the path that he was able to take. Um, from becoming an accountant to being a person who's uh, really had uh, an outstanding career in the financial service sector. Um, and so that was my introduction uh, to Webb Bush as the company. And so we quickly uh, put together um, an idea um, with myself, Mr. Jablonski, mm-hmm. uh, Connie Rivas, Ron Calanzo, um, and then uh, Dr. Parker and I about creating this program whereby which kids from Northeast LA would be able to have exposure um, to the financial service sector and therefore those careers. 
Okay, well, let me stop you there because um, well, you know, I appreciate what you just shared with me. So I'm gonna make make it just a little simpler because that's the kind of gal I am. So you had this conversation with your colleague. You brought in Wedbush. Now tell me what you tell me what you do with Wedbush and what tell me about the program you have with Wedbush. Well, I mean, and where I think it is. The, well, I mean, I think that the the, the the thing is is what we do is the simplest way that I can answer with that is that Wedbush is right now the primary sponsor of a financial literacy and pre-college program. Okay. Uh, that I run out of Pup Cal's early uh, college high school in Northeast LA. Mm -hmm. um, and so they've been really gracious. They brought for the students program uh, 40 iPads with uh, pencils and laptop cases and all that other stuff so it provided technological access i've seen those they're yeah, pretty yeah. neat yeah they're pretty fantastic so that's what the, their relationship is um what's fantastic about the relationship with them and any other relationship that i have with corporate sponsors is that they give me um carte blanche to do the things so they never give any recommendations as to the curriculum uh they never try to tell me what to do just because they give them money. So I think that that's also been, you know, God sending a blessing with that. And so anybody that I look to partner with, that's one of those foundational things for me, the autonomy to do it um, and run the programs as I see fit and the ability um, to really impact change that way. So they've been a good partner in that regard. That's good to hear because we love to hear about good partners. Yes. Definitely. And so let me ask you, where did you learn about money? Well, I learned about money um, in the way that I think most people that grow up from my background. Is the uh, in a, I grew up in a public housing project called Sunnyside. I learned about money and the necessity for money because growing up we didn't have none. So That's a good way to learn about it. Right. right. So, so I learned about the necessity of money as yes, sir. far as we didn't have none, right? And so I think for me, um, what I think our program does is for me, it's about both opportunity and access. Um, and so it's an education opportunity and access program. And so what do I mean there? So we introduce uh, our students to concepts like stocks and bonds and all of that particular type of stuff. And of course, uh, stuff like savings and balancing checkbooks. But even more to that, I think. Well, I'm gonna stop you because yeah. you said stocks. I mean, that's yeah. something you just, for a lot of us growing up uh, in, in working class neighborhoods or disenfranchised neighborhoods, yeah. you see that on television and you see Wall Street. Oh, what is that? Right. And we don't know yeah. that's what how our money works for that's us. That's right, and it's a, this nebulous particular yeah. thing where um, that, the, that appears to be this kind of thing that other people do. Mm -hmm. and, and so for us, like for me, because I, I tell people all the time, um, I think my experience, because I went from GED to PhD, <laughs> is a bit mm -hmm. different than most people that you're going to run into that are in proximity or in the academy. Um, in so far is 
what our program ultimately relates to or anyone that partners with us is that the corporate partnerships and this is the one thing that I must say that Webbush was fantastic about is that they have agreed to hire uh, the alumni of our program after, oh, that's fantastic. after they graduate college. And so for me, even more important than, you know, teaching about money and all that different type of stuff, that's why this, um, this program is really uh, something that's important to me because like, you know, I'm from the hood, so like I don't think about things in an exoteric way or the nebulous ways of creating side hustles and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. I think about stuff that, you know, this program is only worthwhile if that I can take my connections with the president of a, a, a company and that we can leverage that in the same way that other folks can leverage it. Good, good. Okay, so now we have a basic of understanding what you're doing. Um, so we're going to break it down into some simpler mm -hmm. questions, and then we're going to get into the, the overall theme um, of this particular podcast because we have a specific subject, okay. and that is equity, but we'll get to that. So what is financial literacy? Okay. I think financial literacy, the, the simplest way is to understand the ways by which money um, moves, operates, um, and it's it's very similar to politics. You know, um, mm. po po politics. You know, being a poli sci major, undergrad, and, and doing political theory in grad school, uh, politics is often said simply as who gets what, when, where, and how. Right. Mm. Okay. And so, for me, financial literacy is analogous to that, insofar as understanding who gets the money, who got the money, why they had the money and getting to understand the access to it. I also wanna uh, say that one of the big things for me isn't just kind of like, you know, this thing about give money, 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 money. I think one of the things that we talk about in terms of what we do of, of uh, literacy and access is also for you to get proximal stuff. Like the, uh, I think the last time we talked here on this uh, wonderful podcast that you have, and thanks for having me back again, sister, mm -hmm. is one of the things that I said, and, I, and my life is born to, to, to be true out of this sometimes, is that you don't necessarily need to have a million dollars to do something. Sometimes you just need to have access to it. The proximity, so, right. Proximity to mm -hmm. it. And, and so that's one of the things that we also talk about. Um, I think that's a big component I want to stress that makes us different um, than the things that we that, that I try to do um, and that the people I partner with and the companies that I partner with uh, try to do. Because I think a lot of times if you grew up in the hood like I did or whatever, that you have this whole idea. And I remember being younger, and, and I'll never forget this conversation that I had uh, with a brother, Derek Helm, who was actually the... Um, one of the brothers, him, Mario, Willie Boyd, who ran the therapeutic foster home that I was in. And I told him, I'll never forget this, I was 14 and I told him, my goal is to be rich. Mm -hmm. Just like you know most hood kids, whatever. And he said, Melvin, why do you want to be rich? Because knowing him, um, and he knew me and kind of knew where my heart was, he said, well, why do you want to be rich? And I was like, well, my goal in life is not to be rich for just to have money. I was like, I want to help people. And he said something that always stuck with me. He said something, he was like, well, usually Melvin, people who want to help people and people who are motivated as you are uh, to kind of give back actually never have money to give back. 
Right. And so Sounds that like my always, life. Right? Well, yeah, no, no, right. And so that stuck with me. And so I think yeah. that one of the things I think in financial literacy or this access and proximity that I'm really about is kind of demythologizing notions is because for me going in undergrad and grad school I was always going to do um, and be I was going to be a corporate lawyer and be a lobbyist right and uh, and I talked to you about that last time where mm-hmm. Robert Syke was just like yeah you know when you dance with the devil the devil don't change but you do mm-hmm. yeah and yep. so the last thing that I want to say to that is that so for me also financial literacy is also about teaching folks who may not come from money um, in ways in which to get proximal to people who have money and get access to that because there's a way in which you know I just recently and I'm in the process now of doing work and reaching out and uh, breaking bread with the richest African-American you know, like a dude that's worth like six billion dollars, it don't take uh, too much to figure out who that is. <laughs> but Mm-mm. for me, that is a very powerful thing. Yes, you sir. Know, to be able to have access and proximity like that. Um, well, if you want to eat, you need to be near the kitchen, right? That's, oh, that's dope. That's super dope. I'm still in that. Okay, you can yeah, so you can have it. You can have it. But, that's but I'm gonna cite you. But I'm gonna trigger you. <laughs> You know, because sometimes in life, you know, people don't attribute and when they take ideas and stuff. No shade. Okay, that was kind of shade. But uh, you know what I'm saying? So I will attribute that to you. That's super dope. Right. You're right. If you you if you want to eat, you got to be near the kitchen. And then I'm going to cut myself off because I was about to say something real greasy yeah. and untoward. No, we're going to leave it there. We're going to leave it there. So, so we said, um, so we're going to talk about, we just talked about financial literacy. So this is a very simple question. Mm-hmm. What is money? What is money? Uh, I think the best way I can say the money or, or the necessity of money is one of our students in, in the program said, you know, money is not the most important thing in life, but it's something that is, necess- is necessary to life. It's a life necessity. So for me, I think what money is, is basically... Um, the ability or kind of um, you know um, in a simple term money is this kind of cotton printed on paper that we use Mm -hmm. uh, that we use to trade sell barter um, all of that different types of things so that's the simplest way I think that we can uh, think about it um, but also maybe money, if we can talk about money as kind of a mind state by which we're able to leverage either our ideas or something to get the things that we want. I think that goes hand in hand with that. So with that being shared and being people of color and being in communities of color, this question is, is money taught in communities of color? Yeah, I think it is. I think I don't never come from this situation I'm never been one of those intellectuals or those people who come from places of poverty thinking. So I don't try to make false equivalencies of that. I think that, you know, growing up like I did, there was certainly a way by which, um, you know, money was definitely taught because we never had enough. So money was kind of this always present, ever present thing. Now, if you're talking about is there a way by which sometimes growing up in communities of color, the ways by which 
our relationships to money might be different than other particular communities. I think that that's certainly true. Um, but it's not one, I think that it's certainly taught. I think the delays because sometimes of access to money or the, the necessity of it. Um, you know, one of the first things that they taught us in philosophy classes is that, you know, philosophy does not exist outside the fat city. And what that simply means is, you know, those friends that ancient Greeks will understand and, and know where that comes from, is that they, <laughs> one has to be free from certain material constraints in order to think and theorize. Political scientists say it in a different way. Hungry people don't vote, right? Mm -hmm. um, because one's material uh, necessities and all that stuff. So I think you're right. It is taught, but I don't come from, um, I never try to as best as I can come from deficit models. And I know that's not what your question was implying. <laughs> I know, but, but I think I, yeah. that sometimes people unintentionally come from deficit thinkings and what we do right that. So like, so that there is a way in which I think there is kind of a homeopathic or ingenuity sometimes where communities of color might bind together and do like cooperatives, like we're sitting and recording this thing mm -hmm. in a, a cooperative space where there's at least 40, 50 people up in this thing now. Oh yeah, we're at, we're at the big house in South LA over here on 35th Street and that's, that's going to be a separate podcast of its own. There's yeah. some wonderful things going on yeah, super here. Super dope place. Um, and we're doing the podcast from here, and they're doing a lot of work to empower the communities and, and uh, help small businesses yeah, become super dope, super dope play. effective, successful small businesses in this area. So, um, so one, one thing I'm going to ask you too, it's like, well, because you know, growing up, a lot of times I grew up in this environment. I saw this environment mm -hmm. um, where you live paycheck to paycheck. You Not work and you right. pay your bills, and that's I right. never really heard a lot about like, hey, let's invest in this, right. hey, let's buy that. Right. So, I mean, right. that's something yeah. I learned in my right. as I've become an adult. Yeah. Um, it's something in our family that came into our family at a, at a later date. Yeah. Um, okay. And also, well, well this is also, <laughs> um, you're dying to tell me something, tell me something. Well, no, no, but like, when you said that term, like one of the uh, videos that we showed to the web with the students is that there's this show, uh, Blackish, that I really right. love this show, <laughs> and there was this episode called "Keeping Up with the Joneses," uh, "Keeping Up with the Johnsons," because that's their family. And one of the reasons, just a side note, why I love this particular show is that besides it's so well written and really smart, yeah, 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 it's well written and really smart. And I met Kenya Barris a couple of times out here, um, and so I did that. But it's also, in some ways, it's aspirational, right? Because like mm. kind of the monotony or kind of the whole middle class things for someone who comes from the background. Uh, that I come from, there's a way in which kind of the mundaneness of middle classness is kind of something that is so interesting to me. But on this episode, um, the character played by Dre, which is played by Anthony Anderson, is having a conversation with his father in the show, Lawrence Fishburne, a character who goes by the name of Pops. And he was saying, well, you know, uh, Anthony Anderson's character, Andre, is saying to his father, well, you never taught us about money, and you lived paycheck to paycheck. And what his father said was something that was very powerful to me. He was like, there's nothing wrong with me or with us back then living paycheck to paycheck. He was like, because what that means, at least you were getting a check and had another check to look forward to, mm -hmm. right? And so I think you're right. And so for me, that's powerful 
because you know I grew up in a family that very much did that as well, right? And so you're certainly right, and I think those people are saying when you come from that particular environment, one thinking about savings or stocks, and if you got to decide which one, which bills or things to pay, one can't necessarily, generally speaking, think about stocks or savings and investments and all that different stuff. So for I knew about savings. Yeah. And like growing up and like, you yeah. know, I'm a woman of color, so I have a point of view or perspective that may be different from yours, but right. like I didn't know money could work for me until I got into my thirties, okay? Right. And what I was taught is you work and you save. That was it. Right. I don't know who taught me that. I don't know if it came from my right. family or my environment, but right. um but when I got into college, I got out of college and I started hanging out with different types of people and mm -hmm. they were talking about stocks and investments and making your money work for you. I was like, huh? Right. You know, so I found it fascinating. And then I was in a group of friends that taught me these things mm -hmm. by environmental shares. So mm -hmm. um, so this leads into my next question. Um, is one gender better at money than the other? Yeah, I don't know what that means. That's a very good answer. Yeah, I just don't know what that means. <laughs> like, is are men better at money or are women better at money? No, I'm not even trying to be difficult. I just don't. Is the, like let let's talk this out. Is there something that I mean? Yeah, I don't know what that means. Like from a sociological point of view, or traditional point of view, or mm -hmm. or maybe even it's a sexist point of view. Men have been. Uh, it's been alluded that men are better than, with money than women. But then again, I've turned around and seen some very wealthy women. So I just wanted to put that out there because mm -hmm. as I'm asking you this question, we're talking about it. I don't think it's a gender thing, but I think we've been led to think that it is a gender thing. You know, most, I mean, it goes back to math and well, STEM no, and well, yeah, no, I most don't, bankers are men. I, 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 let me put it this way. I think, and, and I just know in my personal life, no, that's fine. My situation is, this is all I can speak from is this. I feel like I'm one of the smartest folks you're going to run into. Like, I feel like that's the case. Okay. However, in general, I feel like women are far smarter than men. Right? And so for me... Maybe there's a reason I liked you. Right, yeah. So, so I think that there's a... So like for me, I always think it's a situation of the reason by which women may not be doing X, Y, whatever that X, Y, Z is, certainly does not come from a, an innate inability to do it. Because I just find uh, women to be, to be quite frankly, more intelligent than most dudes you meet. Um, well, let me put, let me present yeah. this to you. So right now there's a trend going on in our communities and communities where women and senior citizen women are Women are living and ending their 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 lives or their golden years in poverty. Okay. okay? Because, um, and so you take a husband and a wife, right. and then they get divorced, or okay. they're they're okay. together. Okay. That's so. What's happening? There's a trend now that's happening that women are ending in poverty because they will keep giving money to the children, keep caretaking, okay. caretaking, caretaking. Right, 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 right. So, is that? This may not fit this conversation, but th is that something that is a lack of? information about money or is it compassion is it family i mean why is it that women are in, ending with their twilight years in poverty and the men are not there's mm -hmm. this but that's just one study yeah yeah no but so, no, no i think that the right so like i think that they're like so if if there seems to be a multiple strands of particular things that are in you know conversation 
or in that question or in that statement. And so one of the things that I think that simply is true about women in communities of color is so like I was talking to someone at the gym the other day and this is one of the things despite all that is what is said about you know communities of color and all that stuff I was telling a brother at the gym as you know we were working out I was just like saying man like how much I really love being a black man and and he was just talking about like kind of all of the other things that go on in our society all the different other stuff but one of the things that I expressed to him is just like the kind of the brilliance of like you know stuff like soul food right just okay, like you better get me there <laughs> well no i'm gonna get you there okay but so so like if you think about the brilliance of why something like soul food speaks to me to a certain just amazing intellectual acumen is is that you have uh, communities or in latin american communities i know sometimes mexican brothers and sisters uh menudo tribe whatever oh, I know chris rock yeah, chris it. rock talked about it. he said you don't think He's like, pig feet probably did not taste good the first time folks had them. Nope, but when you... Nor the pig eating sandwich, but yeah. you season them up, you do all these particular things. So to me, what I'm saying to you is that there is an innate genius and just like an, a, an incredible intellectual acumen and virtuosity that can take stuff that other folks don't want, survive off of them, and actually, you know, make do out of those things, right? So why point, am I saying that, and yeah. how does that relate to our conversational money? So to me, if you have folks who were able to basically take stuff that, you know, like if you go to the South now, you, they sell pig ears, but they did not originally sell pig ears like butchers used to get that away because they didn't know what to do with that mm -hmm. shit. They started selling pig ears is because they knew black folks and other folks was like, would actually may do and ate that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So why am I saying that and how does that relate to who can be better than money and all of that kind of stuff? I think that there is a situation by which, um, to be honest with you and myself and Mr. Jablonski and other folks, we, we had this conversation too. I think this is where exposure comes in. It's not an innate thing. Um, right. Today, what I always tell people is this. Today's like, and, and, and there's a saying that goes in, in, in this in education and anything else. Today's de facto was caused by yesterday's de jure. And so that's what I'll put like with that. Well, that's fair enough. That's a good answer. But it is, it does come down to the fact just exposing. That's why I find what you guys do with um, the program over in the high school in Eagle Rock so fantastic because you're taking a community that wouldn't normally be exposed to this financial mm -hmm. information and just powerhousing them in, yeah. the, but in it's such not a productive that, way. But it's not just information. Like I want to stress again, for me, this would not be worth doing if it wasn't about the, the tangible. And that's why I really love uh, working with Puck Cows. Because Puck Cows, their, their charter organization, any student that graduates there, they make a guarantee that if you want to come back and work for Puck, we'll hire you. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. So that's why those educational institutions, that's why that charter org is fantastic. Now, couple that with the promise that you have with Webbush. So for me, why this program is worth doing isn't just because of the information we get, but tangibly, kids who graduate our program will leave with two concrete job offers, one from Puck, one from Webbush, upon graduation from college. 
That's why this thing is worth doing for me. So I don't want to dismiss like, you know, the information we teach because, you know, <laughs> it's good. It's but all- to me, it wouldn't be worth the damn if it wasn't for that tangible thing. Well, tangibles are what make the world That's right. run, world spin. So, okay, so we, we had this colorful conversation about leading up to and learning about financial literacy, money, and some of the sociology that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. So let's get down to what we've been asked to chat about. Okay. Equity. Equity. What We want to talk about equity. What is equity? Well, to me, equity um, simply, you know, comes from this idea of this notion of equal. And then now you get into conversations about, are we talking about equality of opportunity or equality of results? But basically, this is in my mind what equity is, or as some person who thinks of social justice. Equity to me is when mediocre black folks, mediocre brown folks can get what mediocre white folks can get. That's really ultimately what equity is to me. But we're talking about financial equity, so... No, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, well, yeah. I need to be a little more detailed with that, so let's get into the meat and bones of that. Yeah. So, um, so equity, how does equity affect your life? Like, if you're going to go buy a house, does equity have any kind of any kind of input in that? or say Yeah, so? so there's a certain type of equity, like there's like, you know, equity or the value or the things that we can have in homes mm-hmm. or properties and all that different type of stuff. But when I think of equity, I think about that particular thing. And so when you say financial equity, mm-hmm. um, I think that that's really why this program that we do with Webbush and Partner is kind of certainly... Um, and maybe from Webbush's point, it wasn't, but for me, it certainly was. And I, and I think that if you push them, I definitely think Mr. Jablonski and people on Webbush are about equity insofar as that these kids now have opportunities to have access to careers that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So to me, that's what equity is. That's what, you know, and when I would say it to you in a concrete thing, mm-hmm. um, for me, you can, to be quite candid with you, um, the United States is a history that is littered with folks where you can be a mediocre white dude and do relatively well. Mm-hmm. And that's just what it is. And if folks disagree with that, I think that well, first and foremost, you're just lying to yourself. You're tripping because history bears that out. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I think equity for me isn't that I want to have folks that are not go-getters get stuff. But I think that it's a situation where I look and think about my life is that one shouldn't have to be able um, to go or like you in order to have. So what's very interesting, I think, in my life is I think that the social cultural capital is real. Mm -hmm. So I know that there's a times in which whether that's meeting with investors, meeting with companies, meeting with other particular facts, the fact that I have ideas and those letters behind my name allows entry into doors Mm -hmm. and so for me equity is as i want black and brown folks who may have those ideas but they may not have those letters to have access to those doors as well so that's what equity is to me in a financial sense so equity according to this particular dictionary i just pulled up the Mm -hmm. value of shares issued by a company right he owns 62% of the group's equities. Right, right, right. Value equity, worth right. valuation. So right. let's let's talk on those lines a little mm-hmm. bit more. Mm-hmm. So okay, when you're teaching this to the, the, your students, mm-hmm. what kind what kind of lessons are you sharing with them? Yeah. So some of the things that we talk about, like um, um, with the students, 
um, we, we do everything from and get them to think about, you know, developing themselves as an entrepreneur, but in particular, like a socially minded entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So we have little kids thinking about like, you know, side businesses or thinking about how to solve problems in their particular communities, mm-hmm. um, how to do that particular types of stuff. Um, so I think for me, um, and to make contributions um, to society, um, I think that that's how we um, think about, you know, developing particular critical capacities, all of that different other stuff. So I think that, that that's for me. And we also really certainly teach a lot, and I think that you will appreciate this, Sister Anne Marie, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot about the ability to develop those soft skills or to get folks, um, you know, the ability to have access and opportunities to networks that might be outside of your immediate neighborhood and stuff like that. Well, good. I think we got a nice uh, organic definition of what equity is. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate your time Mm -hmm. and your input. And I appreciate you coming to the big house and chatting with me. Which is the first and I think the last time by which, uh, well, not the last time I'll come to the big house, but I certainly think this is the first time in my life that I've looked forward to going to the big house, (laughs) Uh, so to speak. Right. Thank you, the big house, for lending lending us their space. And thank you, Dr. Armstrong, for making the time to come chat with me. Thank you very much, sister. I really appreciate it. And blessings to you. Thank you.